Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It's Monday, December 7. In today's briefing topic, should we force streaming platforms to make Australian shows? The growth of streaming services in this country is huge. It's only fair that they face regulation in the same way that free-to-work broadcasters do. Uh, with a requirement to spend some of the money they're making in this country on producing new local content. That's coming up in just a moment. And one of the defining narratives for the briefing this year has been Annika Smethurst's desire, struggle, effort to first get over the border into Victoria and then to buy a house. And we can announce something, Annika? I am now a homeowner in Victoria, (laughs) not in Canberra. Not only did I make it back a couple of weeks ago, but finally bought a house. So great news for me, basically. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you've been trying to work this out from Canberra. It's been a strange year for you, right? Yeah, just before lockdown, I actually bid on a house and then it all fell apart, of course. I was stuck in Canberra, which wasn't the worst place to do lockdown, Mm. so I'm not going to complain too heavily. Uh, But now that it's over, being able to relocate, not yet, but in early January and get back to my home state of Victoria. Good things come to those who wait. Let's get into the big news of the day. A police officer who accidentally allowed two German travellers to skip hotel quarantine and fly from Sydney to Melbourne won't be punished. Yeah, the German mother and son flew from Japan to Sydney on Saturday morning and instead of going straight into hotel quarantine, a police officer let them go to the domestic airport and get on a Virgin flight to Melbourne. Once they were off the flight in Melbourne, a security guard noticed them looking lost, approached them and then raised the alarm. Yeah, New South Wales Deputy Commissioner Jeff Loy says the Sydney police officer, who was only on his second shift at the airport, made a mistake. I had a conversation with an officer and during that conversation there's been a misunderstanding and a lack of communication and it was uh, thought by the police officer that there was actually an exemption in place. And Victorian Premier Daniel Andrews gave a shout out to the Melbourne security guard who found the pair wandering around. What I can say is on behalf of all Victorians that employee has done an amazing job and we're very grateful to them and hopefully they're suitably honoured and rewarded by their employer and if we have to do something we will. They've done a really really good job. There you go, Annika. Security guards finally getting some good press in Victoria. (laughs) Look, good on them for working that out. It's quite incredible. Most people I know that have come in say it's really, really hard to actually not get to a hotel quarantine and Mm -hmm. then have that sort of level of security. More than 170 people were on that Melbourne to Sydney flight, though. They've been ordered to isolate until the COVID tests come back, which should be later today. And an out-of-control bushfire is burning near the town of Happy Valley on Fraser Island. It's at emergency level warning and residents have been advised to leave. The fire has been raging on the World Heritage listed site since it was sparked by an illegal campfire back in mid-October. Since then, it's burned through at least 82,500 hectares of National Park. Yeah, and that situation could be changing quickly, um, perhaps even by the time you're hearing this podcast. So go to the Rural Fire Queensland website for the latest information. Laws making it easier for casual workers to move to full-time work are being introduced to Parliament this week. Under the legislation uh, which has been brought in on Wednesday, they can expect to become part or full-time if they've worked roughly the same hours in the previous year. If the boss says no, they'll be able to ask again in six months. It'll also create a national definition of what a casual worker is and address so-called double dipping, where employers have to pay entitlements like sick or annual leave as well as higher casual rates. Yeah, right now there are 2.3 million casual workers in Australia. Annika, what does this actually mean? Because on the face of it, without understanding 
legislation, the right to ask to be made part-time or full-time doesn't sound like a big deal. Yeah, I guess it's, it is more um, bargaining power for people in that position. It doesn't sound like much and having to wait another six months, but previously they haven't actually had that right. We will have to wait until we get more information from that legislation, though. Another record-breaking weekend in the US with a staggering 230,000 new cases of corona in 24 hours, Tom. Yeah, it's a terrible situation. Records have tumbled for a third day in a row now after many Americans ignored pleas from health officials not to travel and gather in big numbers for Thanksgiving. Some police departments also have refused to enforce lockdown rules. On the weekend, Donald Trump held his first rally since losing the election. This was in Georgia, where two Senate seats will be decided in runoff elections. And the result will decide whether it's the Democrats or the Republicans that will control the US Senate. Yeah, at the same time he was telling people to vote in these runoffs, he was also falsely discrediting the presidential voting system. If I lost, I would say I lost and I'd go to Florida and I'd take it easy and I'd go around and I'd say I did a good job. But you can't ever accept when they steal and rig and rob. I think we can get used to a little bit more of that. And here's what Trump had to say about the pandemic. Warmest best wishes and love to all of those people and families suffering from the COVID pandemic. It's surreal to hear him in that kind of um, electioneering space again, isn't it? Yeah, it's a strange vibe he's, uh, I guess, sending out, given the election was last month now. And he's due to leave the White House in a matter of weeks. All right, thanks, Annika. Jan Fran's about to get into the briefing studio as we talk about the streaming services and the push to get them to make more Aussie content. Think of your favourite Aussie TV shows. Thomas? The Country Practice. <laughs> Are you 1,000 years old? <laughs> I like to country practice. Um, Kath and Kim, that's a good one. I'd say oh. some of my favourite Australian TV moments come from this guy. I don't need one of your flaming lectures. You're about to tell the whole flaming world that I'm a narrow-minded redneck. Don't the crows. I mean, you couldn't read instructions that they were written a mile high in flaming whiskey bottles. <laughs> classic. Classic stuff. Alf, Stone and the Crows. The flaming crows. And, you know, these iconic moments, these iconic lines... These iconic shows, they may have never been made if the networks weren't actually forced to produce Australian content. Yeah, a lot of people might not know this, but our commercial TV networks have quotas that mean they have to broadcast a minimum of 55% Australian content each day. Yeah, and these quotas have existed since the 60s. But recently, in the last, say, 10 years, streaming services have completely changed the way that we watch television. Yeah, 16 million Australians now have access to streaming platforms. That's huge. And the big ones, Netflix, Amazon and Disney, they are all US companies and you will notice that they have mainly US shows. Yeah, so this briefing topic asks, should we force those platforms to make Australian shows? And that way our actors, our crews... Our writers would all have work. Yes, plus we are also telling Australian stories uh, and we're not sort of getting swamped by American stories and American culture. That's also important. Yeah, so the background here is that last month the Australian government put out a proposal and in Canberra jargon they call it a green paper. That is very Canberra <laughs> jargon, isn't it? A green yes. paper. What does that mean? So the idea in this green paper... Uh, is to force the streaming services to spend a certain percentage of their Australian revenue, so the money get, they get from those millions of Australian subscribers, 
to spend a certain percentage of that on Australian content. Here's our communications minister, Paul Fletcher. We think as a principle that if you're earning revenue in Australia, then there should be uh, Australian content that you're commissioning and showing, not just to Australian viewers, but globally. Yeah, so the government's plan is to introduce new laws around this sometime next year. Yeah, so they're in a consultation process Process at the moment. moment. They put the green paper out, people can give their feedback, the streaming services can go, please don't make us force us to do this. And Aussie content creators, I'm sure, will say, please "Please do do force them to do this, exactly. (laughs) Let's speak to one of them now. So Matt O'Kine, who, look... He probably needs no introduction, but let's just give him one anyway, shall we? He hosts a podcast on Podcast One with yep. Alex Dyson, and he's made a stand series called The Other Guy. He's also got a cooking show on traditional television, let's call it, with the ABC. Yeah, so he's he's worked on both sides of that, and he's a good wheeler and dealer. Matt O'Kine, thanks for joining us on The Briefing. How important is it that we get these streaming platforms investing in Australian shows? Oh, man, it's totally crucial. Um I have been able to work with Stan in the past in creating uh, my show, The Other Guy. It was, it was, it's really great to see companies like Stan, but also Netflix and Amazon Prime show an interest and a passion in creating Australian content. Um, I think what you're going to find is they need to do it. They need to create an Australian content for the Australian audience because the landscape in media is changing where people don't want to watch stories that they can't connect with as much anymore. People love seeing themselves on screen more these days. From your dealings with them, do you get a sense that there is interest coming from them in wanting to make Australian content? It's the same as anything. Unless you're absolutely forced to do something, you're always going to be looking for, well, what's cheapest? How do we make it the most effectively? It's a tough one because... We have got some serious competition happening against the American market at the moment because Americans are making shows on Australian soil and then they're coming here, they're flocking here, right? And they're making so many shows here at the moment that local networks can't get a crew. It's really difficult to say, hey, we can give, you know, we've got a $10 million budget for a show. When you've got these international shows coming over, who can pay a hundred million dollars for for a show? And so, what what we're going to be finding here is we've got a show that was made in Australia, made with Australian crew, made with Australian cast, that is an American story and technically an American production that may or may not fit the local quotas of uh, of a network. So do you think putting quotas on the streaming services is a good idea, a good way to get there, or do you think their appetite is strong enough already for Australian content? No, I mean, I think quotas are always going to be good. Um, and, and people probably don't even realize that we've had quotas for years, for yeah. decades, and we've had quotas on so many things. We've had quotas on all the radio stations to ensure that there's some local music being played. Um, we've had quotas on local television and especially children's local television to ensure that local stories are being told to children, you know, so that kids can see themselves on screen growing up. How do you think the streaming services are going to react to this idea of quotas? So far, they don't seem that keen. Yeah, look, I mean, no one wants to be told what to do. I mean, especially when they're up against these shows, these, you know, some of these networks are just mammoths and the the, the sort of money that they're dealing with are huge. These guys ultimately are businesses. They just want to get as many subscribers as possible. And with that will come more investment in the local production. 
so of course I don't want to be forced into doing that, but for everyone on the ground and cast and crew and um, the people who cater the, you know, the, the films and everyone who's involved in a production, um, we always want to see more jobs here. So absolutely. That was Matt O'Kine. Yeah, definitely wants to see more Aussie content on those streaming platforms. Paul Murphy is from the Media, Entertainment and Arts Alliance. So that is the union for people who work in television. Now, they have been lobbying for more Aussie content for a while now. Paul, do you think the government's handling this issue right by putting out this idea of Aussie content investment quotas for the streaming services? Uh, Look, it's definitely the way to go. I mean, it's taken way too long. We've been charging forward into the digital future with a set of regulations that that are analogue, just completely useless. The, The growth of streaming services in this country is huge. It's only fair that they face regulation in the same way that free-to-air commercial broadcasters do, uh, with a requirement to spend some of the money they're making in this country on producing new local content. So do you have a view of what that percentage would be? Just for our listeners, the proposal is a percentage of the revenue they get from Australian consumers being spent on Aussie productions. What, what, What percentage should that be, Paul? Uh, well, look, I mean, obviously, you know, it's it's a subject of, of consultation, but we do have some examples from around the world. In the European Union, for example, they're talking about legislating 30% to spend at least 30% of the revenue they make right. in the EU on producing local content. France has just legislated for 25%. Like we're talking about huge companies here. Netflix, for example, has a market capitalization of 187 billion US dollars. Wow. It's a huge company. They spend billions of dollars all around the world every year on producing new content. It was just announced last month that their budget for production in the UK has gone up to 1 billion US for the next 12 months. Whereas here, they're just spending virtually nothing. I know you guys have been lobbying for some time to have more Australian content on these streaming services. Have you found them and or the government to be receptive about this issue? Like, do they actually want to do it? Look, I don't think the streaming services are opposed to it and they're hungry for content, but, you know, they're businesses. So they're going to do it wherever it suits them best unless there's some requirement on them to do it in a particular way. The government... They've been really slow to the party. Hey, welcome aboard. Um, We've been here for a while, but, uh, you know, it's good to see finally some movement in the right direction. So it seems like there's a a lot of big productions shooting in Australia right now. Isn't that the case? What's the health of the industry like? Well, uh, I mean, of course, when the pandemic hit, production stopped. But uh, as we've got through the pandemic, Australia is seen as a very safe and attractive location to do screen production. So we've got some big international productions coming here as well as some uh, local productions. The screen industry has picked up significantly over the past few months and it's got a very full slate, which is great news for all the people who work in it and were without income for for so many months. Yeah, so it sounds like for crews and and cast, it could be quite a healthy time in the short term. The the bigger question though is about content producers, writers, and and the cultural question and the importance of making Australian stories. Yes, and being able to reflect Australia on our screens. 
Uh, look, exactly. You know, it's it's great in terms of employment to be able to attract overseas productions, but we want to tell our own stories. Uh, it's it's an important part of our society to be able to reflect on ourselves, tell our own stories, but also sell those stories to the world. Because the reality is Australian productions, Australian stories are popular on a world stage, really popular. That was Paul Murphy from the Media, Entertainment and Arts Alliance. It'll be interesting to see, uh, I guess, what unfolds in the next few months and actually whether anything will change for the free-to-air networks as well because they're now in this fragmented market and they're dealing with laws that were put in place in the 60s. So maybe their quotas get removed. I don't know. Well, that would be a a bad thing for Aussie content producers. In in the Green Paper, it talks about a consistent approach for all of these content makers. So, you know, these domestic Australian platforms and the global players. It was really interesting to hear Paul Murphy talk about what's happened overseas so that France has legislated a 25% investment quota. That's where we could be heading. And you know what I'm kind of buoyed by? The fact that both Matt and Paul reckon that people want Aussie content overseas. Yeah, well, that's the, the upside of a global content market. The downside is we're sort of competing against all these other players for the production of it. But it opens us up to these massive audiences also, what Paul said about like COVID, meaning our production industry is in a great place, seems like we're quite well positioned. Tomorrow on The Briefing, an Australian father's mission to solve his daughter's mysterious murder in Africa. A Podcast One production.